Take your Bible and look in Ephesians tonight. Ephesians chapter 4. We've been trying to move through Ephesians 4. And so I want to get on this tonight. I'm going to do my best to not be super long, but I'm going to make no promises. Got a lot of stuff I'm going to try and cover. What we're going to try and cover tonight touches a lot of different doctrines. And I don't know who has maybe heard uh, bits and pieces of what we're going to talk about. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to try as much as I possibly can to just act like you don't know anything about what we're going to cover this evening. So uh, we haven't made it quite through all of our list as far as uh, preaching about, you know, one body, one spirit. We've still got one left, and I may preach about that on Sunday morning. I haven't really made up my mind yet. Uh, talk about a little bit about that stuff. And then you've got verse 7 where he says, this is Ephesians 4, verse 7, where he says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And so when he says that, he gets ready to deal with something here in verse 8, 9, and 10. And what we're going to deal with is what he's talking about in 8, 9, and 10. And 9 and 10 is a parenthetical statement. And so then it's put right in the middle of, uh, obviously, that's what parenthetical statements are. They're put in the middle of something. But it's put in the middle of him talking about these gifts that's been given to the church. So we're going to go back to verse 7. We're going to read through, get a little bit of the context, and then we'll go back and talk about what's in, or try and give you a little bit of a lesson on what's in 8, 9, and 10. So verse 7, he says, But unto every one of us is given grace, According to the measure of the gift of Christ, wherefore he saith, wherefore he saith, that is to say, that's why he said, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, here's the parenthetical statement. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? So we all believe that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. How many of you believe that? Let me see your hand. If we don't believe that, we need to go back to the elementary basics and let's teach you that Jesus Christ went up into heaven. So he says, if Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven, then it shouldn't be a surprise that first he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Cue spooky music. So, Lord willing, we'll try and cover some of that tonight. So he says, verse 9 again, Now that he's ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, and so forth and so on. So don't want to get too far out and out there. So let's let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to look at a lot of scripture. I hope you brought your turning thumbs with you tonight. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. So Lord, help us, God. We pray, Lord. I pray that you'd settle my mind, God. Lord, I pray that you'd help me, God. Lord, I've got notes, but Lord, I've also got things in my mind. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me, God, Lord, to put all these things in order and present them the best way that I can, Lord, that would be clear and understandable. And I pray that you'd help us, God, Lord, as we go through the scripture, Lord, I love this book, Lord, I love the Bible, I love the book of Ephesians, Lord, it's a wonderful book. And I pray, Lord, that God, something could be said tonight, Lord, that would encourage you folks, Lord, or maybe God give them some information that they didn't know before. And Lord, help us, God, to be better Christians for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want you to hold your place in Ephesians 4 and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, I'm going to read quite a bit in Hebrews chapter 10, 
And I want you as much as possible. I know that sometimes, I'm not being a smart aleck, I know that sometimes you come to church on Wednesday night and the preacher reads a bunch of verses and you're sitting there going, oh my soul, please quit reading and just tell me what these verses mean. But I'm going to read it and I'm going to try and make comments, but I got several verses I want, I want to read and I'm going to try and get you to understand something that you need to understand for this sermon to make any sense. And let me put a timer on myself so I don't go too long. Hebrews 10 verse 1, it says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. All right, so hopefully you understand, in the Old Testament, they have, there is the Old Testament, the, the law has so many moving parts. There's sacrifices, there's the tabernacle, uh, there's all these offerings that the people are supposed to bring. And when you get to the New Testament, you can, you can take the New Testament and hold it next to the Old Testament and look at what's in the law and you can see it's Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that nobody in the Old Testament knew that. They're, they're looking here and they, the priest, Moses comes down off the mountain. He says, you got to bring a sacrifice, uh, bring a lamb, bring a bullock for this particular sacrifice. And they say, okay. And so they bring a lamb to the door of the tabernacle. They build this big elaborate tent, which points to Christ. And they, they bring this thing and they set it out there and they say, okay. We, so we got to slice his neck, pour the blood out, pour it at the base, and, uh, pour it at the base of the altar, burn the sacrifice. And you've got all this stuff that goes on. Well, that all points to Christ. Nobody knew it back then, but we know it now because we've got the New Testament. Well, on top of that, what he's talking about, that's what he talk, he's talking about in verse 1 when he says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come. It's a shadow. Stand in the light, and there's my shadow. That's not me. You see that shadow right there? That's not me. This is me. But that is something to where you can make out the form of who I am. That's something that portrays who I am. Well, when you look into the Old Testament, that's a shadow of things to come. That's what he's talking about. Understand so far? Ain't lost nobody. All right. And he says, the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continue to make the comers thereunto perfect. So here they're bringing all these sacrifices. And the ironic thing about those sacrifices is that they can't make any of those people who are bringing those sacrifices perfect. We're going to read a verse here in a second that says that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. Then what are we doing? Well, it's not quite as simple as just standing up and making a blanket statement. There's, there is a purpose behind that stuff. But verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? So he says if they've ceased, ceased to be offered, then that should tell you that there's something that's incomplete about what they were doing in the Old Testament. Verse Two, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. That's why the high priest goes in and once a year, once a year, one time a year, the high priest, nobody else, the high priest goes into the holiest of holies where God dwelt over the, cherub, over the mercy seat with those two cherubim facing inward. And he, that high priest goes in and he brings a blood sacrifice and it atones for the sins of, the, of all the people of Israel. But if it atones for their sins, why has he got to do it once a year? And it's because that blood didn't clear them. Look at what he says, verse 3. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it's not possible, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats 
should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then, I, then said I, Lo, I come in the, vo- in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst thou pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, Old Testament, that he may establish the second. Okay, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ, Jesus Christ once for all. You saved in here? Oh, my soul. I guess all the saved folks went down to the Methodist church tonight. Anybody saved in here this evening? Praise the Lord. All right, you know what that means? You don't have to bring a sacrifice. You don't have to look for a temple. This thing of these uh, 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 Judaistic Christians, I, I'm, a, I'm a Jewish Christian or I'm a, I'm a Christian Jew. Hogwash. You're a Christian or you're a Jew. You're a Christian or you're a Gentile. That's it. You're a Christian. You're saved. Well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I like to observe all the Jewish feasts. Why? That's stupid. Oh, man, I don't have time to really elaborate, so I have to be real blunt and to the point. I'm sure you'll appreciate that later. All right, so you got verse 11. Every priest standeth daily ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, who's he talking about? Jesus Christ, right? But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Praise the Lord. Amen. For from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. So when you go down to the Catholic Church and they hold up the host, the Eucharist, and they say, this is Jesus Christ. This is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They do that every Sunday morning. They're, they're, they're saying, hey, we're sacrificing Jesus Christ over and over and over again. That's Catholic Mass. That, that's an abomination. That's blasphemy. Je- the Bible says that Jesus Christ made one sacrifice forever. That sacrifice will never have to be made again. Praise the Lord. You got in on it. Hallelujah. You can shout about that. All right, so let's uh, move on down a little bit. Verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All right, so here's all I'm trying to get you to see out of Hebrews chapter 10. You may want to go home and no doubt you want to go home and look at this sometime and try and understand fully what he's saying in the context. I just don't have time to cover it all tonight. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that in the Old Testament, there was an arrangement to where they could get their sins remitted, they could get their sins atoned for, but it was not taken away. There, there is some kind of a remembrance made every year. This guy... Uh, does the, the nation, let's talk about the nation. The nation gets involved in all this iniquity and there's a remembrance made of every year and so the high priest has to come again and he's got to uh, make another sacrifice this year at this particular time to get those things taken care of for one more year. And if you was, if you was an Israelite, I'm sure that, that was a big deal. That's a big deal. But you as a Christian, Jesus Christ made the sacrifice once forever. Once you get down on your knees and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, God, God the Father, takes the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and imputes it to you to where all of those things that you've done, there's there's no remembrance made of those things anymore, ever. 
That is a relief, man. That's a relief, and I hope you'll see that as we go on. Old Testament was not that way. Yeah. Quieter, quieter than a church mouse. That's very, very scary. All right. Now, in Ephesians 4, I don't know if you turned away from there. Look here in Ephesians 4. You got that in your mind. I hope you keep that in your mind. Now, let's look at Ephesians 4 a little bit carefully. Ephesians 4, verse 8. He says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, that verse plainly shows that at some point in his earthly ministry during during when Christ was here, let me put it that way, he descended down into the lower parts of the earth. That's what it says. When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Sometime he went down, lower parts of the earth. Look in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, and I want you to look in verse 39, Matthew chapter 12, look in verse 39. All right. So Jesus went down. We know he went up, but that verse says that he also went down. Matthew chapter 12, look in verse 39. Uh, the Bible says, well, look in verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. They got every right to ask for a sign. They're Jews. You're not a Jew. Don't ask for a sign. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Well, we got a right to ask for one. Well, you're evil and adulterous for asking for one. And there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Well, what sign is that, Lord? For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Hmm. So the Lord is somewhere down below in the lower parts of the earth, just like jo Jonah was down in the belly of the well, the Lord, he was down, Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, right? Hold your place. Well, don't even hold your place. Go back to Jonah chapter 2. I know we probably got some pagans sitting in here who think that was a myth, but let's just look at the scripture. Y'all lighten up, please. Y'all look like y'all about to pass out. I'm just really into this, Brother Nathan. Yeah, you look like it. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. Jonah's in here somewhere, I promise. As soon as I can find it, I'll get there. Say Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. There it is. Jonah chapter 2. So he said in Matthew chapter 12, he said the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, he said, I, the son of man, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth, wherever that is, for three days and three nights. Well, look here in Jonah chapter 2. Verse 1, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of where? I thought he was in a fish's belly. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round, closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. 
Now, when Jonah went into the belly of the well, what he said here is he said, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. He said, the earth with her bars was about me forever. Now, I used to work in a place. You know where I worked? Somebody want to take a guess? Oh, man, y'all lame this evening. A prison. Thank you, Brother Michael. I heard you. The rest of y'all just checked out. Punch the time clock and get back in here. Worked at a prison. You know what there is everywhere in a prison? There's bars. Ah, great. Group participation. We're back. All right. There's bars everywhere. Constantino wire. You know why you put bars around a prison? It's so, so people won't get out. That's right. And it's so people won't get in. If you could find hell this evening, if you could find the heart of the earth, you couldn't get in there. Y'all remember when Brother Mike told a story? Uh, he told a story about a couple of miners uh, getting trapped up in the, uh, a mine. I think it was up in West Virginia. I just listened to him. He preached a message about hell, and he's got it on Sermon Audio. And it, it said these fellows got trapped in this mine and said they were trapped in, and folks were digging. They spent several, several days, maybe weeks. I don't remember what, how the story goes. And they said while, while those fellows were down there, they're cut off communication from the rest of the world. They're down there. No, no CB no radios, no cell phones, all right? They're down there, and they said it's dark, pitch dark. They said all of a sudden, while they were down there, up on the surface, uh, one of the popes died. I forget what pope it was. Well, those fellows said while they were trapped down there, they said they saw a light show up, poof. And they said way off in the distance, they saw that same pope walk through a door. You say, is it true? I have no idea. I wasn't down there. You want to disprove it? All I'm saying is that the Bible says there's the bottom of the mountains and the earth with her bars was about me forever. That's what Jonah said. Now, Jesus said, you ain't getting no cotton-picking sign except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as he was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, I'm going down into the heart of the earth. Three days and three nights. And there's bars down there. Yes, sir. Look, look in Job chapter 17. <clears throat> I can't get too carried away. I'll shoot this all the way through and have you all confused. Job chapter 17. Look here in Job chapter 17. Job is right before the book of Psalms. Job 17, and I want you to look. Verse 16, I think. Let me make sure. Yeah, sure, there we go. Look here in verse 13. He says, uh, if I wait, the grave is mine house. I have made my bed in the darkness. I have said to corruption, thou art my father. To the worm, thou art my mother and my sister. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? They shall go down to the bars of the pit when our rest together is in the dust. Now you remember, you remember a, a group of fellows back in the Old Testament. They came up against Moses. It was Dathan, Abiram, and Korah. I believe that was the sons of Korah. I forget what their names were. But anyways, they came up and Moses said, God ain't put you in charge. God's put all of, all of us in charge. And Moses fell on his face and then he got up off his face and he prayed. And uh, he looked at the rest of the children of Israel. He said, if these fellows die a common death, he said, you'll know that God ain't sent me. He said, but if a new thing takes place, and he said, the earth opens up her mouth, opens up her mouth and swallows them up and all that appertaineth unto them, you'll know that the Lord sent me. You know what happened? and swallowed up everything that appertained to them, their wives, their kids, their tents, their possessions. 
I mean, what did that poor little sheep do, man? It went down into a pit. There's going to come a time in the future during the tribulation that an angel is going to come down from heaven with a key in his hand, which we'll get to here after a while. We're not going to talk about this particular event, but he's got a key, and he's going to go somewhere on this earth, somewhere on this earth, somewhere on this earth, and he's going to unlock a door, and he's going to open a door, and all kinds of things are going to come out of a pit. Job says the pit has bars. Somewhere down below. All right. Now, look. Back in verse, Ephesians chapter 4. Let's get another piece of information and then we'll come through it again. Ephesians chapter 4. People say hell's the grave. You're nuts, man. You're out of your ever-loving mind. Of course, I will say, you know why they put fences around the graveyard? Because people are dying to get in. Y'all probably heard that before. But anyways, that's all the jokes I got. Ones that I've heard and you've wore out and all that stuff. Ephesians 4, look at verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, now this is when he went up, he led captivity captive. So that verse says when Jesus went up, he didn't go up by himself. Now here's a problem. Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended, who went with him? Turn over there. Look in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. I mean, you can read verses 1 through 8 if, you, if you're a fast reader just sitting there. If not, take it home and go read and look at it. He said, verse 8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he, he, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. There's nobody there. But the Bible says in Ephesians 4, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. Somebody went with him. So when is that? All right, take your Bible and look in John chapter 20. Let's figure out when this is. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. So, well, let me just get with the scripture. Look in John 20 and look in verse 11. Now, I hope you know the context here in John 20. You look at verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, cometh to Simon Peter. Hey, they've taken away our Lord. So Peter and John run down to the tomb, and they go in, and they see that Jesus ain't there, just like she said. And so they take off going back home, going, oh, my soul, what in the world's going on? But Mary, she loves the Lord. Uh, this gal has been delivered from some serious iniquity. But she stands there, verse 11, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping as she wept. She stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. You got that? All right, verse 13, they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they've laid him. That's the angels talking to her. Now watch. When she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, it's not the gardener, it's Jesus, but she thought it was the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. 
She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Now watch what Jesus says. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. Don't touch me. For I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, your Father, and to my God, and to your God. Now, he's come up from the grave. He's, she come down there. Listen, she came down there early Sunday morning. Early Sunday morning, probably before dawn, I would imagine. And she gets down there and she starts seeing all this stuff, panic-stricken. Oh, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, here shows up this fellow behind her after she goes and tells Peter and uh, all the disciples, Peter and John running down there, they go home. And she hears this fellow standing behind her and say, Hey, what you looking for, woman? That's what it says. What you looking for, woman? She, sa- she turned around and saw the form and said, That's a gardener. Hey, if you've borne him hence, just let me know where you're taking him and I'll, I'll go get him. And he says, Mary, she knew that it was Jesus. She turns around and tries to, I suppose, fall at his feet, tries to touch him. And he says, don't touch me. He said, I haven't ascended to my father yet. He said, but go tell the disciples. He said, we're brethren now. I'm ascending to my God and your God. I'm ascending to my father and your father. You see that? Okay, well, so... Then he ascends up into heaven in Acts chapter 1. But you got a problem. And the problem is in verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, after this, look, look, at, look at verse 19. This happens on Sunday. Verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said, so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Okay, well, you go down and look in verse 24. Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when the Lord came. Well, the disciples come to Thomas. We've seen the Lord, verse 25. And he said, I ain't believing that until I touch the, his hands See, except I shall see in his hand the print of his nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And hopefully you know the story. Jesus shows up eight days later. He shows up eight days later and he walks right up to Thomas and he says, hey, it's me. See that? Put your hand in there. See that? Put your, go ahead, put him in there. Well, he told Mary, don't touch me. I haven't been to heaven yet. And now, eight days later, he's telling Thomas, touch me. You know what that means? That means that in that week, somewhere in that week, he's already been back to heaven and already come back. I don't know how far heaven is from here. But if you make the trip in eight days, you're moving. I forget what the mileage is to to the sun. Anybody want to travel? There you go, 93 million miles. Okay, but it gets, it gets better, it gets worse. Look in Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Now, you saw in John chapter 20 that when Jesus resurrected, he shows up to Mary, and that's on Sunday, and then that evening, Sunday evening, he shows up to his disciples And they see the Lord, hey, praise the Lord, he's resurrected. He's not dead after all. Eight days later, he shows up to him again. Thomas is there. Well, look here in Luke 24. Look in verse 24. And 
Oh, I'm sorry. Let me make sure I got my right notes. Here in Luke chapter 24, let me give you a little background. You probably know the story. He's resurrected. There's two fellows walking on the road to Emmaus. Their eyes are withholding. There he says, what are you so upset about? You stranger in Jerusalem? Haven't you heard what's taken past these last couple of days? What are you talking about? They said, well, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we thought he was going to be the Messiah. He was going to be the fellow that was going to deliver Israel. They've crucified him. He's gone. And he looks at him and says, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. And he starts going through all the way back at the book of Genesis and starts expounding all the things. They don't know who they're talking to. They're talking to Jesus. But they, they don't know. Their eyes are holding, the Bible says. They're withholding. And so he starts telling them all the things that the Scripture says about himself. They get down to where the two, part, two ways begin to part. The two ways begin to part. And Jesus acts like, he acts like he's going to go one way. And the, these two disciples say, well, we're going this way. And they say, hey, why don't you come in and eat with us? It's in the evening. You see that? It's in the evening. Hey, why don't you come in and eat with us? He says, okay. And so he goes down and he sits down at the table. And when they sit down at the table, they give him the bread and he breaks it. And they say, we've seen that before. Fed the 5,000. I've seen that before. And as soon as they recognized who it was, he vanished. Now watch. Verse 36. Uh, I'm sorry. Those two fellows packed their bags from where that incident took place. And they run to the 11, to the disciples. And they said, verse 32, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 gathered together, hiding out. They're thinking, we're next. And, and them that were with them saying, the Lord is indeed is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way. He just showed up to us and how it was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, it's the same day, same day of the resurrection. You can go back and look at Luke 24. As they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, peace be unto you. But they were terrified and frightened, uh, frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he saith unto them, Why are you troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Jesus resurrects in the morning, Sunday morning. And by the time he sees Mary in the morning, don't touch me. I haven't been up into heaven yet. I haven't ascended up into heaven yet. By the time Sunday night rolls around, he's standing in the middle of his 11 disciples saying, touch me. The same day. Whoosh, whoosh. Mm -hmm. Does that give you a clue as to how fast you're going to leave here during the rapture? Mm -hmm. My soul. You talk about in a twinkling of an eye. Paul knew what he was talking about. It's right there. All right. So, so he didn't just ascend up into heaven in Acts chapter 1. Now hang with me, okay? Building my case. He didn't just ascend up into heaven in Acts 1. He ascended on the day that he, that, that he resurrected. He went up into heaven. So he didn't, lead anybody, he didn't lead anybody captivity captive in Acts chapter 1. Well, what about Luke 24? What about John chapter 20? Yes, sir. Okay, now. You got those two pieces of information. You go down into the heart of the earth. There's bars down there. That's a prison. 
Now you've got a situation to where when Jesus resurrects, now he's taking somebody else with him. We've pinpointed, I think, sufficiently. I don't have any more time to go through that. That's why I'm going to keep you here all night. Luke 24, John chapter 20. He's taking some folks up with him. Okay? Now listen. You, we read it back in Hebrews chapter 10. He talked about how the sins can't be taken away in the Old Testament. They can be atoned for, but there's a remembrance made of every, every year of those things. Take your Bible and look in Luke chapter 16. Let me show you something else. You say, Brother Nathan, there's so many moving parts, and I'm not sure I can remember all this. That's okay. Bring your questions, and I'll send you to Brother Spike. He can answer all of them. All right? So Luke 16 I'm sorry, yep, Luke 16. Now, you know this story, I hope. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Where's that? Okay, well, maybe you say, I don't know. Well, we at least know that Lazarus died, and that's where he went. But the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell. Well, we know where that is. That's down there. That's in the lower parts of the earth. I don't think that's any stretch of the imagination. Jonah chapter 2, Job chapter 17, I think it is that we looked at, verse 16. It's down there. You understand that? Now watch this. In hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. That's down below, right? Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things, thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. He, he said, you got everything good that was coming to you when you was on earth. He said, now the tables have turned. And he said, beside all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. He said, there is a gulf between us and you that if folks would want to break out of where we're at, they can't get to where you are. And if folks want to break out of where you are, they can't get to where we're at. That doesn't sound to me a gulf. Gulf of Mexico, Gulf of Aqaba, uh, I think Gulf of Suez, I, I don't, that other one right there, the Red Sea, they have another one, that, the other leg. But Gulf, you know what that is. That's a big partition, something that you can't cross. Well, that doesn't sound to me like Abraham's bosom is way, 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 way out there somewhere. Now listen, let me give you something to think about. I'm not going to run the reference, but I'll give it to you. Uh, Genesis chapter 25, Abraham dies. Abraham dies, and you know what it says about Abraham dying? It says Abraham died, he was a good old age, and he was gathered to his people. Well, you say he died and went to heaven. Let, let, let me ask you something. Heaven, heaven in the sense of which you read it in the New Testament, can you show me where heaven is in the Old Testament? I don't really see a whole lot of it. There are mentions in Job. There are things in Psalm. But it's not what you read in Revelation chapter 21, 22. It's not that kind of heaven. That's New Jerusalem, by the way. Just a little bit of a side note here. You don't really know a whole lot 
You get some details. You don't know a whole lot of what heaven looks like. What you know is what New Jerusalem looks like. That's not quite the same. That has nothing to do with this, but it's something it's good for you to take note of. All I'm trying to say is, where's heaven in the Old Testament? And what I'm saying to you is, you're not going to find a lot of details about heaven in the Old Testament because the way that the arrangement was in the Old Testament was if you did right, God would give you a long life and you enjoyed blessings here. You did wrong, God would shorten your days. There are exceptions to that rule, but as a general rule, that's the way God dealt with Israel. You understand that? Where was I going with all of that? There's so many moving parts to this. So, well, take your Bible and look in uh, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Oh, I know where I was going with that. You can go ahead and go to 1 Samuel chapter 28. You say, well, Lazarus died and he went to Abraham's bosom. You say, that's heaven. No, it's not heaven. It's not heaven. That's a, it's a different place. Wherever this place is, it's called Abraham's bosom. And the rich man can lift up his eyes in hell and he can look and see afar off Lazarus resting in Abraham's bosom. The Bible says in Genesis chapter... Uh, 25 verse 8 that when Abraham died he was gathered to his people Isaac died he was gathered to his people uh, Jacob dies Israel dies he's he gathered to his when jo Joseph dies you know what happens to him you want to take a guess when all these fellows die if they died right they were gathered to their people they're all being gathered into, a, into the same place and once, I suppose, once Abraham dies, from then on, it's called Abraham's bosom. A lot to that. I don't have time to go into all that and probably don't have enough knowledge to go into why that's the case. But I believe that has to do with the arrangement that God made with Abraham being the first Jew, the first Hebrew, and that covenant of circumcision. Anyways, look here in 1 Samuel 28. All right, look up here at me and just pay attention. Are you all still with me? All right, I've been in this 30... 30 minutes, okay? I'm going to try and zoom through this, but not go so fast I lose you. I know I'm pushing the limit. It's real dry material, but it's real interesting, okay? 1 Samuel 28, look in verse 7. Saul has gotten to a place where God won't talk to him. And so here he says, Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there's a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. She's a witch. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went and two men with him. And they said to the woman by, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring me him up. That's an interesting statement. Bring him up. Okay? Bring him up. Y'all like those antics? But anyways, bring him up whom I shall name unto thee. I just think about how stupid that probably looks to y'all. I don't know why I did that. Thank God the folks that are listening out in radio land can't see me. That's why we don't have cameras in here yet. I'm just kidding. Verse 9, And the woman saith, said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me, unto the, cause me to die? She don't know that this is Saul talking to her. And Saul sware to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this. Then said the woman, whom shall I bring up unto thee? Who you want me to bring up? And he said, bring up Samuel. 
Well, he anointed me to be king. I know he's in touch with God. If this gal can get in touch with him and bring him up, I can get a word from God. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. Now listen, I don't have time to go into all of what takes place when somebody divines, but what she's used to dealing with is not real people. Soothsayers, necromancers, those people that talk to dead folks, they're not talking to dead people. They're talking to familiar spirits, spirits that are familiar with whoever the person is they're trying to get in touch with. Not me. You start talking about you talking to dead people, I'm going to start talking about the blood of Jesus Christ and how you need to get saved and get out of that mess. Yes, sir. She's not used to talking to real people. She's used to dealing with familiar spirits. But this time, God let it work. And here comes Samuel. When she saw Samuel, she cried with a loud verse, voice, verse 12. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid for what sawest thou. And the woman said unto Saul, I saw God's coming where? Oh, my soul. They're ascending out of the earth. Now, I don't know what, I, I don't know how you could get a mental picture of that, but I can see it very clearly. Here's this gal looking into a crystal ball, and she's doing whatever enchantment she's got, and she's trying to get in touch with this familiar spirit to try and get in touch with Saul, and all of a sudden, she looks into that crystal ball and screams, <gasps> and Saul says, what did you see? And she said, I saw gods ascending out of the earth, and she, she, saw, Saul, she saw Samuel, and he said, verse 14, what form is he of? And she said, an old man cometh up, and he's covered with a mantle. Are there stairs coming out, out of that heart of the earth? I don't know. But boy, here he comes. He's coming up like an old man covered in a mantle. He's got this thing around him. And look at what he says. Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me? Verse 15, to bring me up. Saul answered, I'm sore distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God's departed from me. Answereth me no more, neither by the prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord's departed from thee and has become thine enemy? And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thy hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. More of the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow, tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. He said, where I'm at, you're coming. I'll see you tomorrow. Click. That's what happened. Fellow just about passed out. Oh, this witch comes over. Hey, you need to eat something. Hey, you told me you wouldn't kill me. But what I'm trying to get you to see is he didn't come from above. When she divined this fellow up, Samuel, he didn't come from above. He came from beneath. When he died, you know what happened? He gathered to his people. You say, why, why couldn't he go to heaven? Because he's a sinner. Samuel's a good man. But he's a sinner. You might be sitting in here this evening, you're, you might be a good man, you might be a bad man, but if you've trusted Jesus Christ as, a, as your sinner, and a technical, uh, as your Savior, Lord, forgive me, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, in a technical sense, you're not a sinner. In your flesh, you're a, you're a sinner. But on the inside, you're just as clean as the Son of God. They didn't get that in the Old Testament. 
And so because of that, God could not let them into heaven. God's holy. You're going to get into God's presence? What? Hey, Samuel's a good guy. Don't make no difference. God is not looking for a good guy. God's looking for a spotless one. God's looking for absolutely clean. And so, God being a just God, well, I'm not going to put you in hell, but you've got to go somewhere after you die. So I'm going to put you over here. Abraham's bosom. And I'm going to put this gulf in between here so that you guys can't get out and go over here. And so that these guys can't get out and go over here. That's a lot of scripture to put together, but I hope you can see that. All right, now look in Luke chapter 23. We're making our way there, all right? Luke 23. Luke 23, and look in verse 39. Luke 23, verse 39. <clears throat> He said, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Two thieves, two malefactors, either side of Jesus. One's railing on him. The other one was. Now he's had a change of heart. Oh, something's different about this fella. Verse he said, verse 40, read it again, but the other in answering rebuked him, saying, dost, thou, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, when, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That does not say, today thou shalt be with me in heaven. He had to take a stop by paradise. You say, where's paradise? Abraham's bosom. Jesus said, before the day's over, I'll see you in paradise. You're going to be with me. No water baptism, by the way. No good works. You say, you believe a man can... Throw a little commercial in here. You say you believe a man can die on his death, right before he dies on his deathbed, trust Christ as a Savior, God wash all of his sins away? Yes. What's your proof for that? <laughs> he ain't got an opportunity to do anything. He ain't got an opportunity to get baptized. Miss Amy, you die before you get baptized on Sunday? You're going to heaven. We'll see you there. Don't go die. Don't do that. All right? You're forbidden to do that. But that's great assurance, man. That's great assurance. Praise the Lord. Now, he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, I got news for you. When Jesus died, he did go to hell. We're fixing to cover that, and then I'm going to cut you loose. He did go to hell. But you see what he said right there? He said, today thou shalt, shalt thou be with me in paradise. He didn't say, in three days I'll see you in paradise. That tells me that Jesus didn't spend hardly any time in hell. There's a reason for that. Take your Bible and look in 1 Peter. Let's talk about the death of Jesus Christ. You say, Brother Nathan, there's so much information here. I know. That's what happens when you begin to study your Bible or listen to somebody uh, go through the Bible. Listen, don't get discouraged about this stuff because I don't think I've ever taught a class on this. So 
I've been hearing about this for a long time and never taught it myself. So don't get discouraged. You say, I'm not going to remember all this. Remember what you can. We'll hit it again in a couple of years. We'll, we'll try and get you digesting it real well. All right, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, talking now about the death of Christ. So here's what we've got so far. You ready? We talked about out of the book of Jonah. We, we, well, let's go back to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, Christ ascended. He led captivity captive, Right? Well, if he ascended, what's the big deal to say that he descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Okay, we got that. Jonah chapter 2. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Job chapter 12. Same thing. Bars of the pit. All right, then you've got, uh, we talked about what ascension was it where Jesus led captivity captive? It wasn't Acts chapter 1 because when he ascended there, we saw it. He didn't take anybody with him. Well, the day that he arose from the dead, he went up, and then came back. Mary, don't touch me in that evening. Hey, handle me. Look at me. It's me, boys. So logic tells you he went up, came back the same day, that Sunday, that Easter morn, they say. Everybody should cringe there. But anyways, but that's what, that's what took place that Sunday when all that stuff took place. All right? Now, Luke chapter 16, we talked about the rich man. He dies, goes where? He goes to hell. Yeah, that was your chance to participate. Lazarus goes where? Okay, so they can see, they can look across and they can they they can talk to each other. They can see each other. You see, it's right. It's not millions of miles away. First Samuel, chapter twenty-eight. Saul tries to get a hold of Samuel. He comes up out of the earth, down below. So there's this holding cell somewhere down in the in the heart of the earth, next to hell. Lost people go there. Lost people today still go there. Yes, sir. Bible says in one place, hell hath enlarged herself. I, I, I say that smiling, don't, not because I'm happy that people are going there, but that's a wild thought when you start taking into consideration some other things that we probably won't get to tonight. But here's paradise, Abraham's bosom. The folks that were right with God when they died in the Old Testament, that's where they went. Okay. Now, Jesus looks at the thief on the cross. Today, I'll see you in paradise. You're going to be with me. All right. Talk about the death of Jesus Christ very quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2 and look in verse 24. <clears throat> Before we read, let me ask you one question. Was Jesus Christ a sinner? Okay. Y'all should have been a lot louder than that. Jesus Christ... That's true. Jesus Christ was not a sinner. Not a sinner. Did he die? Sure did. Okay, then there's a problem. Trick question. There's a problem because the only people that are supposed to die are sinners. The wages of sin is? Okay, then if Jesus Christ didn't have any sin, why did he die? Answer, because he took your sin, he took my sin. That's why he died. Look at what 1 Peter chapter 2 says, verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we we're, were healed. Doesn't say he bore our sins on his soul. Doesn't say he bore his sins on, our, on his spirit. It's in his body. 
who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Now look, hold your place there. Well, no, don't hold your place. Go over to John chapter 3. Let me show you a couple things. Get John 3 in one hand. Get 2 Corinthians 5 in the other. John 3, 2 Corinthians 5. You didn't know you was going to get a college education tonight, did you? See, part the reason I'm going so slow is because y'all turn slow. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. All right, look here in John 3. Jesus Christ talking to Nicodemus. He says, verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Raise your hand if you know what he's talking about. Just want to make sure that I haven't lost you. Okay, a couple of folks don't know. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel began to complain. The Bible says God sent fiery serpents among them to bite them. When they bit them, they all started dying. Moses got on his knees. Oh, God, what are we going to do? God said, I want you to get a pole, and I want you to make a, a pole with a serpent on it out of brass, a brazen serpent. And he said, you're going to hold this thing up in the air, and whoever looks at it is going to they're going to live. Look and live, my brother, live. That's where that song comes from. Well, Jesus Christ says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Lifted up on a cross, right? So when you're standing there at the foot of Calvary looking at your Savior, Jesus Christ, hanging there naked, bleeding, and dying for you, that thing that took place in the Old Testament, Moses holding up that serpent in the wilderness, that's a picture of Christ dying at Calvary. That's what he just said. Why a serpent? Why not a rose or something beautiful? Why a serpent? You got 2 Corinthians 5? Look in verse 21. Here's why. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You know what happened at Calvary? Jesus Christ was made sin. The sin of the entire world, God took that and put it on His shoulders. When Jesus Christ was there hanging, bleeding, naked, dying, He was sinless. But it was as if you were hanging right there, dying. God reached over and grabbed the cup of wrath that he had that, was, that had your name all over it. You remember, listen, you remember when Jesus Christ was hanging at Calvary and there was a period of darkness that came over. I, I forget how many hours, three or six, I don't, I don't remember. But there was a period of darkness. Why do you reckon that took place? You get in a place where you don't want nobody to see what's going on in the inside. You know what you do? You reach over and you grab the blinds and you close them. You know what God was getting ready to do? God's getting ready to pour out His wrath on His own Son. God is getting ready to deal with His own Son according to what He really thought about you. God reached over and grabbed the blinds and closed them. Pitch black. Pitch black. God reaches over. God the Father reaches over and grabs that cup of wrath and then pours it out on His Son. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. That serpent, that's a picture of sin. 
That's the thing that's going around biting them, complaining, murmuring, whining. We ain't got no meat. We ain't got no bread. We ain't got no quail. Okay, so God sends in a couple of serpents. Starts biting people and killing them. Well, you're going to have to face up with your sin. Look and live. So when God takes Jesus Christ and puts him up on a cross, you're going to have to face up with the consequences of your iniquity. Look and live. There it is. He's made him be sin for us. First Peter chapter 2 tells you that he bore our sins in his body on the tree. All right? Go over to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. That's one aspect. <clears throat> That's what happened to his body. Now, you know that, at least I, I think you know, that you as a person are not just one uh, part. Put it that way. You're not one part. You've got body, soul, and spirit. The Bible says, let's review this right quick. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that when a man dies, his spirit goes back to God that gave it. God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the spirit. And man, that spirit joins with his body. Man becomes a living soul. Body, soul, spirit. Well, when a man dies, whether he's saved or lost, the spirit, that's the animating force. That's his life. Spirit goes back to God that gave it. Where's his body go? Whether he's saved or lost, where's his body go? In the dirt. What happens to his soul? Well, that depends on whether or not he trusted Christ as a Savior. If he trusted Christ as a Savior, to be absent from the body is present to be present with the Lord. If he didn't trust Christ as a Savior... He's bound with the cords of his own iniquities. Listen to me. Listen to what I just said. He's bound with the cords of his own iniquities. When those men stand at the uh, great white throne of judgment, Jesus Christ tells a parable, and they say, Bind them hand and foot and cast them into outer darkness. You as a lost man, if you're sitting in here lost, you're bound in the cords of your own iniquities. And the result of that is you have to go to jail awaiting your sentence at the great white throne of judgment, at which point you'll be cast into the lake of fire. That's what's going on. Well, spirit goes back to God that gave it. Body goes to the dirt. The soul, well, that depends. That's in the church age. What about in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, if you weren't, so much, I'm, if you weren't right, I'm going to just put it that way because there's so much, that's there. If you weren't right, you went to hell. If you were right, you didn't go to heaven because you're not clean yet. So you go to another holding place. It's not torment. It's Abraham's bosom. It's paradise. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. What about Jesus? Where did he go? Well, he went to the grave. His body's put in the grave because that's what happens to sinners. He's not a sinner you understand that? I'm not teaching heresy. He's not a sinner. But he, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. So he partook of death. They put him in that old tomb. What happens to his soul? Look here. In, uh, spirit goes back to God that gave it. Let me talk about that for a second. Spirit goes back to God that gave it. Hanging there on the cross, he says, Father. He says, it is finished. Looks up and he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Having said thus, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. There goes his spirit. He dies. What happens to his soul? 
Verse Isaiah 53, look all the way down in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now listen, the soul of Jesus Christ was not defiled. The Bible says, listen, the Bible says, the soul that sinneth, Old Testament, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Oh, my soul. Well, Jesus didn't die. But you know what's going on? Hold you, well, just go over to Leviticus. A couple more references and I'll let you go. Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16. I know, it's real long, ain't it? Long-winded preacher. Leviticus 16, and I want you to look right here in verse, oh man. Verse 3. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place. Now this points to Christ. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat. He shall have put on linen breeches upon his flesh. Skip down verse 5. He shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself. There goes the bullock. And now he's got these two goats left. Okay, verse 7, he's going to present, he's going to take two goats, present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle, and then Aaron's going to get some dice, and he's going to cast lots at the door of the, of the tabernacle, and one lot he's, is going to be for the Lord, and the other for something that's called the scapegoat. Okay? Now, I'm going to abbreviate this because reading is, I've already kept you here for 57 minutes, and so I'm going to try and abbreviate this and move forward. He takes these lots and he casts them at the door of the tabernacle. He's got these two goats here, these two kids. He got these two kids. I'm just kidding. He got these two kids. And he casts lots and one of those goats is for the Lord. You know what happens to that goat? He gets sacrificed. Poor goat. You know what happens to the other one? He's the scapegoat. You say, what's the scapegoat? Aaron, the high priest. The high priest. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The high priest pulls that goat over and he takes his hands and he puts him on, puts him on the head of that goat and he confesses over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel. And he picks that goat up and he brings it over here and he puts it in the hand of a fit man. And you know what that fellow does? He takes that goat under his arm and he walks way out there into the wilderness and lets him go. Turns around and leaves. You say, what's going on? Those iniquities of the children of Israel were put on that goat. And then that goat is turned out in a place. It's a wilderness. It's a place where nothing is. It's rough. And that goat is just left alone. And never to be heard of again. You say, why do you bring that up? Because that's Jesus. What happened was when Christ died at Calvary... His body got put in the grave because he bore our sins in his body on the tree. You see that? Isaiah 53 says that his soul was made an offering. Somebody took the iniquities of the entire world and put them on that scapegoat. 
You say, what happened? When he died, that scapegoat went down into the wilderness. He goes all the way down into hell. You say, what's he do? He deposits your sins there. Well, now he's in hell. How's he going to get out? It's a prison. All the Lord could get out. Listen, I'll just remind you that in the book of Revelation, they take a chain and bind the devil and throw him into the bottomless pit and he can't get out. That's something interesting to think about. You say, but yeah, this is Jesus Christ. He's got to be a victor somehow. He sure is. Turn over to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Now listen, hear your scapegoat. His soul's been made an offering for sin. He's got his sin on his back, on his soul. He's not, he's not defiled, but he takes your sin and he goes all the way down into hell and he drops them off. Now he's got to have a way to get out. Look in Revelation chapter 1, look in verse 18. This is Jesus Christ speaking in his glorified form. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Can I hear an amen? amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Jesus Christ goes down into hell, drops off your sin, and wherever those keys were, he grabs them. He grabs them and he walks over to the gates. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell, hell has gates. Gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus walks over to those gates, puts the key in, opens it up, and it swings wide open, and he walks out through that gate, and he looks down, and you know what's standing there? A great gulf. Well, how's he going to get across? The same way he got across when he walked out there that day that he saw his disciples out there in that boat. You say, where is he going? Paradise. Didn't take long for him to take those sins down there. All he did is he just swung open the gates and he walks out there, walks across that great gulf and he gets over into the paradise and they get over there and he says, it's me, boys. You know who's there waiting on him? That old thief. Listen, listen. Abraham ain't seen him. David ain't seen him. It's a different story. There's an interesting thing behind there. We ain't got time to go into it tonight. David ain't seen him. Uh, Jacob ain't seen him. None of those Old Testament saints have seen him. The only guy that's seen him so far, I say the only guy, the one of particular interest is that thief. Jesus Christ walks into paradise and he says, There he is! You know what they do? They have a glad reunion day for about three days. Lord looks at his clock and says, Well, boys, I'm I gotta get back to earth. I, I gotta get out of the grave. I got appointments to keep. Let's go. He goes up, he ascends up on high. He led captivity. They're kept captives. They're in a prison. He led captivity captive. Takes them all the way up. There's a verse in the book of Matthew that talks about when Jesus Christ, well, turn over there. Matthew, I don't remember what chapter this is. 27, there it is. 27, verse 50. 
27, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again, all there. Still hear some pages turning. All right, Matthew 27, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, not bottom to top. Jesus, God the Father, rent it. All right. He rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, the rocks rent, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints. Well, we're still in the Old Testament until Christ dies. So that's Old Testament saints. He says, many bodies of the saints which slept arose that came up and came out of the graves after his resurrection. When Jesus Christ comes up out of paradise, leading captivity captive, when he resurrects, the day he gets up, that verse says that there are the bodies of many of the saints also get up and they're going down into Jerusalem saying, you should have believed me. Here shows up Zechariah or maybe Elijah. Who knows? I don't know who. It says many. It doesn't say all, but it says many. It says many of the body of the saints which slept arose, went into the city and started preaching. That same day, he led captivity captive. And then he comes back by himself. You thought it was just for you. You thought it was just for you when Jesus Christ died. You thought it was just, oh, Jesus died for my sins. And he did. But boy, there's a whole group of folks somewhere that, that were down there. And he had to break them out. Jailbreak. Hey, boys, I'm here. We'll be here for a couple of days. Then we're going to have jailbreak. We're going up. Woohoo! Don't you reckon they had a party? You don't know what partying is, boy. They were happy. They were happy. Paradise. Abraham's bosom. He has descended down to the lower parts of the earth. Ascended up on high, led captivity captive. There you go. Lord, thank you, God, for your goodness to us tonight. Lord, a little bit of Bible study, Lord.